This week, I take you on a little adventure through the trimesters of pregnancy. I break down common symptoms you might feel and offer ideas on how to manage those from a natural integrative medicine perspective, as well as highlight various focus points for each three-month period, whether that be the types of labs you might want to ask your provider for or the types of information that would be smart to begin researching. I help answer some of the common questions I get all the time. What can be done about morning sickness? When do I start supplementing and with what? Can you manage a UTI naturally during pregnancy? When do I need to change my exercise routine? And so much more. Let's go. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. And remember, this information is not intended to diagnose, treat, or manage any disease. Always consult with your doctor before making any changes. Okay. Hello, everybody. I am going to just do this solo podcast today. Just me, just Dr. Morgan, breaking down the trimesters for you, talking about the ways that it might feel, some common you know, symptoms and management for those symptoms. Also, some main focus points to be thinking about. Now, obviously, there is so much more to the trimesters than what I'm going to be saying today, but I did just want to give a good little overview in case any of you are trying to conceive or maybe you're already pregnant and you're just wondering if you know everything's kind of status quo or how it might be going for you. Also, I apologize about the tone and the sound of my voice. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this is just the way that it's been now for the last couple of days, so we're rolling with it. Um, <clears throat> feels like I have a, you know, a frog or a potato or something like that in the back of my throat, but whatever. Here we go. <laughs> We're going to keep going. So first trimester. The first trimester is a sneaky one because you'd kind of think, oh, the baby is just you know a clump of cells or it's the size of a poppy seed and then it's the size of a blueberry and it can't be that bad. Although culturally, everybody has usually heard that first trimester nausea and morning sickness is going to hit most in that time period. But I am here to tell you that almost all of the symptoms are going to hit most you know, severely in the first trimester. And it's shocking because you are honestly, it, the, the baby is just the most microscopic, tiny little thing, but it is growing so fast inside of you. It is taking up all of your resources and re your reserves. Your blood sugar is crashing multiple times a day. You're having to get up in the middle of the night to eat. You already have to pee all the time. <laughs> You're, you may be experiencing heart palpitations and shortness of breath already, first trimester. Those are actually two of my first symptoms. The last couple of my pregnancies shortness of breath has been the thing that's made me go and take a pregnancy test at like three weeks. It's been crazy. Um, you know, having to eat different things, or maybe you're having food aversions and that's really tough too, because of the nausea. Um, but your blood sugar still is going to be going up and down and tanking out sometimes. And so you'll still need to be eating, even though you feel like you really don't want to. Some people are also going to be experiencing insomnia and, um, cramps and constipation. And there's a whole lot of different things. And obviously I'm not making this sound like it's a very fun thing to do, but then there will also be people who maybe just have like a skiff of fatigue and otherwise they would have had no clue that they were pregnant. So it's a really big range. And I truly don't think that it means that you are, you know, unhealthy if you're having a lot of symptoms or anything like that. There is some thought in, out there in the world that having some symptoms means that it's a strong, robust baby and that everything's going well. But I also find that not to be true clinically because there's going to be people who have very strong, well-growing babies and 
no symptoms. Then there's going to be people who are have maybe a missed miscarriage and for weeks and weeks the baby was wasn't growing anymore. They didn't know that until later on, but they were still having, you know, they were vomiting all day every day and stuff. So that doesn't always play out. It's a bit of a myth, so don't worry if you are feeling really good in your your pregnancy. It does not mean that your baby or your pregnancy is necessarily weak, okay? Um it's it's just really dependent on the baby, you at that snapshot in your life. And, you know, yes, there's some health parameters that probably play into it, but there's nothing that we really know all that much. So let me talk about some of the symptom management for specific symptoms. So the nausea and the food aversion is probably the the top biggest complaint. And um, for some of you, you're going to be vomiting every day, multiple times a day, or, you know, a couple times a week. Then there's going to be people who have something called hyperemesis gravidarum, or sometimes just called HG. HG is a like it's it's not even comparable to morning sickness because it is a such a severe form uh, where you are vomiting you know 20 30 40 50 times a day usually people are hospitalized needing to get IV fluids and nutrition in uh, a different way because of the way that you know it's kind of taken over and that's a whole different ball game that um I'm not going to talk about today because it is so specific and severe and unfortunately, there's also not that much that we know about it. There needs to be a lot more research done about HG anyways. But so for the typical nausea and aversion, some things that we need to think about that can be helpful here. This one you're not going to like, but we need to talk about it. Blood sugar regulation. That is the idea that your body is keeping your blood, the, the level of glucose in your blood at a steady state so that it can feed your organs and namely your brain. Okay. Your brain takes up so much glucose throughout the day to do its things, its functions. And we need there to always be a steady stream available. As your blood is circulating around your body, it's dumping out the glucose, giving it nutrition and energy where it needs to be. In the first trimester of pregnancy, your insulin can raise up to 15 times. Okay. Insulin is like the key to the door so imagine a hallway. <laughs> We're doing an analogy. I wish Dr. Leah was here because she loves analogies. Okay. There's a hallway. That's your bloodstream. And there's doors. And those are the cells. Okay. And the key to the doors is called insulin. And insulin is going to be this thing that allows the glucose to go from the bloodstream into the cells so that it can be used. If we have huge amounts of insulin, huge big increases of insulin happening, what's going to happen to all the glucose that's in your bloodstream? It's going to go into the cells very quickly. And so this is part of what is happening in the first trimester of pregnancy because your body is trying to pull the nutrition from your blood into the cells so that it can continue to help grow the baby. But what this means for you and your experience is that you will, you may feel symptoms of low blood sugar as this wild yo-yo swinging thing up and down and up and down. And you may not even feel that. You might you know, okay. So like, what are the symptoms of low blood sugar? They'd be like weakness and shakiness, feeling ravenously hungry and also feeling nauseous. So nausea is a symptom of low blood sugar in any person, pregnant or not. And so it really behooves us in our first trimester of pregnancy, not only for the reason of providing a consistent basis of nutrition for yourself and for the baby, but in order to prevent the nausea from being something that is overtaking you, we need to consider the role of blood sugar in your picture of nausea. Likely your picture of nausea is like a pie and there's different proportions of different things that are contributing to it. So let's say it's 30% blood sugar. It's 25% the hormonal changes. It's 25%, you know, hydration or something like that, whatever. There's lots of different things that can be going into it. And then there's more, but I would say 
blood sugar is one of those sneaky ones that people really don't often think about. And then it also feels really difficult to change because you don't feel good and you have nausea and you have food aversion. So how the heck are you going to get yourself to eat to stabilize your blood sugar? And I'm here to just tell you, I know it sucks and I'm so sorry. And it also is, is still as much as you can, the best that you can important to at least try because you may be pleasantly surprised that you overall will have less nausea when you can keep yourself in this cycle of eating. What this often means though, in reality is eating in the middle of the night, probably twice for some people and eating something before you get out of bed, not just like crackers. Although some people that will work, but usually we need to have something that's a, a complete snack or a little bit of a meal where we're going to have the full fat protein carb, you know, combination. And then if you can stay on this cycle and you can get ahead of yourself having these blood sugar dips, then the nausea stays at bay. And then you can kind of roll, you know, um, roll along with this snowball up a hill, let's say like you're not up a hill because that sounds like it's worse and harder, but like down a fun, you know, you're going sledding. It's not like a snowball that's out of control in an avalanche. It's like a fun thing. And you're like, woohoo, this is good. I like this. Same thing with hydration. So that's my second point I would say about um, something that is contributing to nausea that people don't often think about. And that also is one of those things where it gets worse because you're nauseous and you're throwing up. Now you're dehydrated. And dehydration and especially electrolyte and mineral loss is, again, an independent culprit of nausea in and of itself sometimes. And you can also become dehydrated very quickly. And in pregnancy, we need to stay more hydrated. Okay. So there's lots of different angles of uh, for us and against us in this situation. So ideally, what we're doing is eating probably every 90 to 120 minutes. So every hour and a half to two hours throughout the day, something that is a significant snack of protein, fats, and carbs, not just crackers all day long. Although, I mean, I get it. There's going to be some of you who are rolling your eyes at me going, this chick has no idea what she's talking about. There's no way that I could eat anything besides like seaweed snacks or whatever. And for some people, it is going to be like that for you. But I think there's a huge vast majority of people who kind of think that they're that person. They think that they're in that slump category of like really can't tolerate that much, but it's actually that they just need to get back up on top of it. And then the world is your oyster and it opens back up and then you can eat a lot more things and you feel better because you are maintaining an even blood sugar supply as much as possible. Along with this, you are drinking your water that has some minerals or electrolytes added. Not every single glass of water that touches your lips needs to have electrolytes in it, but overall in the day we're drinking a couple of um, you know, doses or whatever, what have you. My favorites for this would be the Redmond's Realite, so Redmond Real Salt makes an electrolyte powder that comes in tubs that is significantly cheaper than Element as well and has better forms of all of the uh, electrolytes in it. And it's made in the United States. There's, I mean, I could go on and on, but either way, uh, Relight is a really great one. It also tastes really good. Then there is my second favorite to that would be uh, Trace Minerals has a liquid product called Concentrace. You buy it on Amazon or in your local health food store, buy the two ounce bottle, not the eight ounce because the eight ounce glugs and the two ounce will drip. And you really only need like three to four drops of it per glass of water. Otherwise you're going to be feeling like you're drinking seawater. So concentrates is a really good option for people who have like reverse osmosis water filtration in your house. If you're not adding water or if you're not adding minerals back into your reverse osmosis water, and if your system doesn't already do it on its own, cause some do, so you need to double check that, then you absolutely are going to be experiencing deficits in minerals. So 
whether you want to do something like a, a true electrolyte powder like Redmond's or Element or whatever, or a drop, the dropper ones would be a better option for somebody who's not into that stronger flavor of really salty and or the sweet that can come along with that with the stevia, you know, flavored electrolyte powders, which I find very lovely, but I know that other people don't. <laughs> so that's okay. Um, okay. Then also now there's B6 and ginger. I'm going to link in the show notes, uh, a blog article that I wrote years ago that has some of the dosages there for B6 and ginger. It's not like you have to take them at the same time, but these are some things that can help. So the reason why that ginger helps or sometimes other digestive bitters or enzymes can help is because they're getting digestive juices going. Ginger does. It also is like a helpful aid for just upset stomachs and uh, upset stomach in general. The dose is quite high if we want to get to the therapeutic level. Same thing with B6. So B6 is one of those that is going to work for some people and not work for other people. And the dose is you got to play around with it. I have it in the blog article, so you guys can check that out. And if you're really struggling with nausea, you're probably going to need to take it from multiple angles. Like I was saying before, your pie, what is it that's going to help you you know, based on the root cause of your nausea, some of it is not going to be helpable because it's just, you're at the whims of, you know, being in the first trimester of your pregnancy and the hormones are crazy and it is, it just impacts you. Um, but there are going to be some things you can change so that maybe it's only like 30% of the, the nausea that you were experiencing, or even if it's only 70% of the, the nausea that you were experiencing, that's still going to feel a heck of a lot better. Then of course there's homeopathy. So this is going to be really specific to you, but I will link a, uh, an article from her homeopathy. She's my favorite homeopath that is rich with information so that you can read through the, the remedies and try to see if any of those match you the best and see if the homeopathic remedy can help you as well. Okay, let's move on. So constipation is another one that people often experience at some point in pregnancy, but it can also kind of come out of nowhere in the first trimester. This is because of the sharp increase in rise in estrogen. Estrogen is a really cool hormone. It does a lot of awesome stuff, but one of the things is that it's inflammatory. It's pro-inflammatory. And in the gut, it can really change things. Also, the really high, mostly, this is from for constipation. So, okay, the estrogen can be responsible for things like mucus in your stool, which are a sign of, is a sign of um, this inflammation that I'm speaking about. But then the progesterone, <clears throat> progesterone, just, gestation, it's progestation. Progesterone rises very, very high during pregnancy to keep you pregnant. We like this. We need this. This is why maybe you're getting your progesterone tested by your doctor, or maybe you're even being told to put be put on progesterone oral or suppository during your first trimester if your progesterone levels were low, because it is imperative to have this in order to be able to keep the pregnancy. <clears throat> But one of the things that progesterone does is slows everything down. It can slow all of your digestive down, digestive system down. Partially, this is because it's so that you can pull more nutrients from the food when it's a little bit, you know, lazierly going through your tract, but then also it can lead to constipation. So magnesium is going to be your best friend here, but additionally, hydration, and then double additionally, triple additionally, <laughs> squatty potty. So a squatty potty or a stack of books or a little low um, stool that you can put your feet on that gets you in that more physiologically beneficial pooping position. So there is a loop of, it's like a ligament that goes around the bottom part of your colon that's leading out to your anus. And when we are sitting on a chair in a 90 degree angle or sitting on a normal toilet in a 90 degree angle, 
there's like a kink in the colon there that's trying to descend and go, you know, where your poop is coming out. And when we rock ourselves in this position of squatting in a deep squat, which would be physiologically how we would poop and how our bodies have developed and adapted to poop, <laughs> this opens up that kink and it makes more of a direct downward line um, for the poop to go. And this is one of the reasons why squatty potties are so helpful. Okay, magnesium for constipation. Typically, if we need to relieve acute constipation, we're thinking about magnesium citrate. That's the kind of magnesium that's in the calm powder that everybody loves so much that you know you can just mix in water. It's very effervescent. But it, my favorite thing is to do something that's a, a combination of multiple different types of, of magnesium. There's a lot of different products out there. I, I'm just going to list off my favorite. It's called Triple Mag. It's by Vital Nutrients. Two capsules of that sometimes three if you really need it, but that is a great way to keep um, a good steady dose. It's a mix of malate, glycinate, and oxide. So it actually doesn't even have any of the citrate in it, which is the magnesium citrate is an osmotic laxative, meaning that it pulls water into the stool. The others have different ox or different actions, but I like that it's a bit more well-rounded. It's also going to help you with sleep. It's also going to help you with muscle cramps. It's just like my favorite magnesium. So I don't know. I just have to plug it. It's been the one that I've loved for years. Um, I'm just going to write some notes down about the things I need to put into the show notes here. And when it's just me and not with Dr. Leah, I have to do it all at the same time here. So <laughs> now next let's talk about insomnia. This can be really mean because you're very tired and your energy is going out to this baby all day long. And then you lay down at sleep to sleep at night and you can't. And I'm so sorry if this is you, if this is happening to you. There's not all that much you can do, but I want to remind you that if your blood sugar is dropping in the middle of the night or before bed, it is going to spike your cortisol. This is just one of the things that happens in the process of trying to get your liver to then liberate more glucose because your liver will store a certain amount of glucose for the times when you don't eat or you don't have food available. It's a very smart system. But part of the, the way that that uh, glucose is liberated in the system, so that meaning that you can use it again, is it has to spike cortisol. So this is what's waking us up sometimes in the night is that we're actually having low blood sugar periods of time. So eating a snack directly before you go to bed. And then if you wake up in the night and you can't go back to sleep, you need to eat something, even if you don't feel like it, even if you feel totally full and or, and or nauseous. But again, you might feel nauseous because your blood sugar is low. So do you see what I'm saying, guys? We got we to gotta be eating. So give that one a shot, um, eating a snack. I, my favorite thing is like scoops of nut butter with honey. That's just what I do or a piece of cheese because you want to try to find something that's going to satiate you for a while. Um, okay. Also remember we need our sleep hygiene things in place. So like sleeping in a cool, dark room, using a white noise machine. Um, and then another one is topical magnesium. For some reason, topical magnesium and its absorption seems to be most helpful with sleep more than internal and oral taking magnesium too. So get some kind of a magnesium spray. Earthly makes some, there's some by ancient minerals. There's a lot of different kinds. Probably your local health food store has a million different kinds. So just know that that is a thing. And then the emotional challenges that can come with the first trimester is another one I wanted to talk about because uh, it's really, it can be really hard and you just got to let it flow. I mean, beyond it maybe being something outside of the realm of normal, it's very normal to feel weepy, to go from moment to moment laughing and then crying, to feel anxious, to feel, you know, fear that you're like, what's going on? What am I doing? Um, to 
uh, the, I would say the mood swings are, are great. Also being ir angry or irritated, there's a lot going on in your body and it's, we just got to kind of let these tears flow and know that there's energy working through us. Depending, depending on your belief system too, you might want to consider the idea that you're merging with another energy of the baby and there can be, um, you know, that can feel weird, especially if you're very energetically sensitive. The other thing is that there's this phenomenon that I, I call pregnancy introversion. I don't think it actually has a name, but this is something that to me as an extrovert has always taken me by such surprise. It's been so significant that every time I get pregnant, I become at some point in that first trimester, so internal and introverted and like other people's energy begins to drain me and I don't want to talk to anybody. And I'm just thinking in my head and my thoughts are so loud and I am almost like not in my environment anymore. And it's like all of my energy that I used to be putting out into the world and various things is instead maybe moving out from away from my me in my body a couple of inches going up to the top of my head and then just dumping back down into myself. And it's like this little energy warp that's just kind of staying right around me. And I'm not able to give to the rest of the world the way that I was before. And it can kind of be a head trip because it feels like it's to me, I think I've almost interpreted it as feeling a bit depressed because it's such a stark change from my day-to-day -day normal energy. But I, I think it's also just our energy shifting, um, your priorities of where your energy goes shifts and changes. And, you know, you're not in your body alone anymore. There is a baby now inside of you. And it's such a beautiful thing. And it would, it makes total sense that for this nine nine month period of time, our body is prioritizing ourselves and our own situation and growth. And then, you know, even if you're finding yourself asking these like big existential questions, you know, like, how am I going to mother? And what, what about this? And what about that? And what about this with my partner? And da 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 da. And kind of like, teasing things out. Like this is the beginning of your death of the maiden, meaning like, you know, your single person hood, you're being a single woman in the world. This is the beginning of that shift into the mother. And it's a different gig. It's a totally different thing. And there has to be a, this quote unquote death of the maiden in order to step into this period of being a mother. And I talk about this, this kind of, um, transformation and how it comes into play during birth a lot too, because that's really the pinnacle point. That's when like the real true full execution of that old self is happening. And when the baby is born, now you are stepped into this role of mother. And so I don't know if this is like resonating with any of you guys, but I, I feel like this is a, a cool component of pregnancy to look into and maybe embrace or ponder or think about. And if it's not for you, then leave it. You know, it's totally fine. You don't take it or leave it. Let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 95% of women are deficient in omega-3s, one of the most important nutrients, not only for fertility, but also for the baby's and mama's health once she becomes pregnant. Omega-3 fats are critical for baby's brain and eye development and have been shown to support the cardiovascular system, immune system, and lead to healthier skin and joints. They support memory and cognitive function as well as mood. They are powerful nutrients that are not only essential for baby, but good for mama too. One of our favorite brands, Needed, has created a high quality and high potency fish oil option to get the EPA and DHA omega-3s needed for mama and baby during these critical seasons. If you had to pick one supplement after a prenatal to get on board while preparing for pregnancy, trying to conceive, while pregnant or postpartum, it's omega-3s. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code HEALTHYMOTHER to save 20% off your first order. 
Again, that's thisisneeded.com and use code HEALTHYMOTHER to save 20%. Okay, back to the show. Focus points for the first trimester. So you will be getting some first trimester labs at some point. Usually it's towards the very, very end of the first trimester. This is the unfortunate thing that's happening, that has been happening, is that you will likely not see a practitioner to get any kind of establishment of care until you're like 11, 12 weeks. Part of the reason for this is because one in four pregnancies on average will end in miscarriage. So there is a lot of resources that wouldn't want to be allotted to situations where the baby's not going to make it. That's just sounds horrible and it is. And it is just the way that things are. So they're not usually going to see you until they know that more likely than not, this baby is sticking around. Um, But you can request to try to see a practitioner earlier than that if you felt you wanted to or needed to. And there would be at some point, whenever you do have your uh, appointment, you're going to do some first trimester labs or pregnancy labs. Sometimes they will include, you know, they'll, maybe they'll do like a TSH to test your thyroid. But I would say that we need to be getting a bigger thyroid panel. We need to add on vitamin D3. Sometimes they don't test for that. And I would also add on ferritin, which is a mar- iron marker, iron storage marker. Um, it's going to really depend on your practitioner, of course, but let's just say that they have their standard panel, their standard prenatal panel. I would want to see a full thyroid panel that would include your TSH, of course, that's thyroid stimulating hormone, but we'd also want to see free T3 and free T4, total T3 and total T4. A reverse T3 isn't really as helpful in this situation because there's not much you can do about it anyway. Um, and then maybe antibodies, if you have had an antibody history, like if you have Hashimoto's or Graves. For the vitamin D3, that's like a pretty standard one, and they should want to do that because it's important. If your low, levels are low, you need to get them up during pregnancy. We know, I know that there's a lot of like anti-supplementation of vitamin D information going on out there right now, but we know that mothers who have low vitamin D have poorer outcomes of the neurodevelopment of their babies. So it is important that we know this. What is our vitamin D status? Is it adequate? If not, we need to supplement. Or you can go out and try to get it from food and the sun, but you need to be really working at that like every day as your top priority because we do not want to have more time going on where your vitamin D levels are adequate, inadequate while you're developing a fetus. Okay. Also, the CBC and CMP, that's a complete uh, blood count and complete metabolic panel. They will, or comprehensive rather, metabolic panel, they will do those likely. And one of those is the CBC is going to have your hematocrit and your hemoglobin. This is how they're going to deem you anemic or not. But I do think that having a ferritin in there is important as well because you might have normal hemoglobin and hematocrit levels, but your ferritin might be completely tanked out. And that is still something that needs to be improved over the course of the pregnancy. Also, just keep in mind, when you get these labs done will be important for the way that these numbers look. And ideally, we have a baseline of your earlier in your pregnancy to compare them to. So in my first, or if in my ideal world, people would be getting their labs drawn at some point in their like early or mid first trimester, but that's hard to do because a lot of the practitioners won't see you. You can make the request to find them or to get them done. So another focus point besides getting these labs, and I should have probably started with this one is the idea of finding a practitioner. So there's, this is a long process and it can change because maybe you don't actually know right now what kind of birth you want to have. Do you want a birth at home, a birth center or the hospital? I would say though, just pick someone maybe within your insurance models in those 
early weeks so that you can be seen and you can get these labs going. Then maybe begin to like reach out unless you know for sure you're like, no, I'm definitely working with this midwife. I'm having this home birth. Then reach out to her and she can order labs. She can draw blood depending on the state, of course. But um, that is something that I think is important because depending on the plan, again, there's a maximum capacity that certain midwives can take in a certain month. So if you wait till you're 16 weeks to reach out to a midwife and you're due in December, they may only take three births in December and they've already been booked up now. And so it's going to narrow your options. So it really does, um, it's to your advantage to pick somebody on the earlier end of things. If you're working within a hospital system, that is not as much or at all, even a factor that comes into play because people are always on call and there's always somebody that's going to be there to help deliver the babies. Okay. Prenatal supplements. If you haven't already been taking supplements, we need to be on them now that we're pregnant. So ideally we're taking, these are kind of what I call the four core prenatal supplements. It would be your prenatal vitamin, vitamin D3, if you need it, magnesium, and then fish oil for your omega threes. So my favorite prenatal is needed by far. It is the most robust. It has the highest dosages of the nutrients in the best forms. It is third-party tested. It is more robust in a lot of the other nutrients that sometimes prenatals don't even have, like choline. It has, you know, the needed prenatal is, I'm trying to think of like (laughs) ways to say it without mm, bashing others, I guess maybe, but it is formulated by the top practitioners. I mean, and they're my friends too, Dr. Leah being one of them. And I know how much work has gone into it. I know how well the company on the inside is doing and their integrity. And I, that's why, that is why I think that this is the best on the market. And if something else comes up, I will let you know, but right now this is the best on the market. The D3, that can be like a orthomolecular makes a little D3 K2 dropper which I like because it's easy to go up or down in the dose. The magnesium, of course, again, I already said that. I really like the triple mag by Vital Nutrients. And then fish oil. So Needed actually has a fish oil now. So they've always had an omega-3 that was an algal form, so it's vegan. If you are vegan, that's a great one. But if you're not vegan, it is more superior to get your omega-3s from the fish themselves. So I love the the Needed fish oil, but I also love Nordic Naturals, Pro Omega 2000 or even Pro DHA 2000 or a little bit of both or doing one fish oil, like say either Needed or Nordic Naturals and a cod liver oil like by Rosita's. A little bit of different profile of how there's fat soluble vitamins and different omega profile. I think if you can stomach it and afford it to do two different kinds at the same time is a great idea. And then with exercise in the first trimester, just per normal, per whatever you were doing beforehand, if you were lifting weights a lot, though, I would see say that it's in your best interest to schedule an appointment with a pelvic floor PT and ensure, working with them, ensure that you have proper pelvic floor activation during your lifting and during your movement so that you don't end up hurting yourself. Because the second that you become pregnant, <laughs> you begin to make something called relaxin. And it's a hormone that is going to make all of your lo- your ligaments loosey-goosey and your muscles um, more sort of seemingly flexible so that your body can accommodate and stretch and move and grow this growing baby and so that your bones of your pelvis can widen and literally move apart as a baby is descending your pelvis during birth. And it's a really beautiful hormone, but in the context of working out and especially lifting heavy weights, we can and are more apt to hurting ourselves. 
So we want to make sure that we're not doing that. Um, also, the weight of carrying a baby on your pelvic floor is in and, of, in and of itself enough to sometimes cause some dysfunction. But if we're like running or we are putting a lot of pressure on our pelvic floor during doing heavy weighted squats, it would be better if we can get clearance from a pelvic floor PT that says, yeah, okay, you actually are doing this correctly so that you're likely not to hurt yourself. Then that pelvic floor PT that you've established with can be the one that works with you postpartum. So it's a win-win. Okay. That's the first trimester. Wow. I did not mean to talk for so long. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. I thought for sure this would not be so long, but you know me, you guys, I just can't stop. I can't stop. Won't stop. I just love to, this is my favorite topic to talk about. And if you're loving what you're hearing, I have a six week pregnancy course where I talk to an extreme length of detail about all of my, the most important things that I think that a pregnant woman should know. And we also talk about birth for two weeks and breastfeeding for a week and postpartum for a week as well. My next class is starting up uh, at the end of March. And so it's been such a fun thing to create and to lead these women through. We meet for a Q&A call every week. So I can just sit there on Zoom and answer your questions. And usually there's only like eight people. And so there's so much one-on-one -on -one time that you get with me and then we get to know each other and it's super fun. So uh, go to my website, milkmedicine.com. If you want to sign up for the waitlist for that. And it is, it is really fun. So anyways, let's move on to the second trimester here. Some things that you might be feeling in the second trimester, you might be feeling better. Yay. You can enjoy yourself. You might be able to eat better. Your food aversions are gone. You have more energy. You're feeling like really vibrant and kind of glowy in this mix of all of these really awesome hormones. And this is a, like very stereotypical, but I would say a lot of people do experience this to some extent. So if this is not you, I'm sorry, it's okay. It's not your time right now. <laughs> Maybe you're going to have a really awesome postpartum or something. Actually, on that note, they say, they, whoever they is, they say that of the things of getting pregnant, pregnancy itself, birth, and postpartum, a couple of them are going to go really well. And then there's going to be a couple of them, one or two that are more challenging. And so it's not usually that all of the phases of, you know, becoming a mother and, and mothering ourselves, uh, are just, you know, peaches and cream. There's probably going to be some where you struggle more. For me, it's always been postpartum. I get pregnant easily. I love being pregnant. I mean, for the most part, you know, there are complaints here and there, but that's okay. And then I love birth, but postpartum just smacks me right in the face, man. Like no matter what I do, it's just like, <laughs> just not meant to be. And I've now after four times, I've come to really accept that, but anyways. Okay. So second trimester, you typically feel a lot better and are, you know, liberated with this energy and maybe you're starting to get a little bit of a bump, but not till the end of the second trimester is it sometimes even visible, depending on, especially this is your first baby, it's going to take a little bit longer for it to pop. In the second trimester, at some point, you're probably going to get your anatomy scan, which is the big ultrasound that I am a fan of. I know there's people in this cartoon world are really anti-ultrasounds. I am anti-many ultrasounds. I don't think that that's a good idea unless we need it because we're monitoring something that is very imperative to the health of the baby or you as a mother. But sometimes people are just getting them because they just want to get them. And I, I do think that that's probably not wise. But an anatomy scan is a good one. And you can also have them do it a little quicker. They don't need to be on you for like, you know, a full 45 minute long thing. What's most important to me is finding out the location of the placenta and then just checking baby's, my, you know, overall vital organs, making sure everything's looking right there, that there's no, there's no going to be no surprises. Okay. Some symptom management of the second trimester. This is going to be the time where people are usually finding out that they are anemic. This is because of the blood volume increase. So there's, it's common. It's common to be 
anemic in your pregnancy at some point. And it will usually resolve, but sometimes we need to be more intentional. One thing to know about the needed prenatal is that it does not contain iron. They did this intentionally because iron in the face of all of these other nutrients is not absorbed well, usually. So we need to be taking our iron at a different time of day away from all of the other nutrients that are in a typical prenatal. You can find other prenatals that don't have iron in them as well, but most of the time there's just going to be stuck in there. And we have to just know that it won't be absorbed that well because there's calcium and magnesium. And there's all these other things in around it that um, kind of compete with the absorption sites. So if you need to take an iron supplement, take it away from your prenatal. You can do things like liver and you know, chlorella and yellow dock root and molasses and eating lots of red meat. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about it, but, um, I don't think that we need to be fearful of taking an iron supplement if we are really tanked out and very anemic because it's more important for you to get that number up kind of quickly, especially if it's bad, you know, if it's a little bit, then sure work on it with diet. That's great. But if it's very, very bad, I think that we need to be supplementing and that's going to be okay. Obviously, you're going to talk about this with your practitioner. This is not medical advice. I just want to give everybody like a bit of a a different perspective from what we hear sometimes on the internet. So then there are sometimes vaginal symptoms and that this can happen at any point in the pregnancy, but I just chose second trimester to talk about this. So pregnancy UTIs, really common. Also, you may just have something like an asymptomatic, um, you know, high white blood cell count in your urine where you're not having the symptoms of a UTI, you don't have nitrites, you don't have any of the other symptoms of a UTI, but there is white blood cells. Sometimes that can be because be because it's not a true clean catch. Like maybe if you had a little bit of cervical mucus discharge that got into the flow of the urine, that can trigger that. But also, even if it's not, even if it's just coming from your urine, that doesn't necessarily need to be treated unless it's like a huge amount of white blood cells. But if you do have a true UTI or you're starting to get one in pregnancy, there are some things we can do besides taking antibiotics. So you're going to have to talk about it this with your practitioner. And I'm not going to be able to give doses here, but D-mannose is a sugar that's kind of like xylitol in that your body doesn't absorb it. It pees it out. And as it's going through the system, it is going to line your bladder and your, your urethra, and it prevents the bacteria from being able to adhere and stick to the wall. So then it then can't colonize. So that's a good one. And then of course the cranberry, like cranactin is a more concentrated proprietary form of cranberry. And these things can be used under the guidance of your practitioner during pregnancy to manage UTI without antibiotics. Probiotics of course are also very important for this. Um, Femdophilus is an easy to find one. It's made by Jaro and it's, it's two strains of probiotics that are appropriate, not only orally, but also vaginal suppository. So that's cool. If we want to be kind of remodeling the microbiome of the vagina, we can do that. And then if we're getting yeasty or maybe we're having some BV situations, talk with your practitioner about boric acid supplements. Some of them might laugh in your face. I have definitely heard of that. And it's so funny to me because (laughs) it's a very safe and effective way to take care of this, but maybe they just don't know. So if they don't know, maybe you need to get a different practitioner or something like that, but we don't need to always be taking pharmaceuticals for things. Sometimes we can just take a different form of something like a boric acid that's going to change the pH of the vagina so that the yeast can't grow. That's what it's going to do. So anyway, all right. Focus points for second trimester. Exercise modifications. Now we have a big enough baby in there that we probably shouldn't be running. 
maybe you're weight lifting less weights or less often, or you're moving to something just like walking. If I had to just ma- wave a magic wand, I think walking is such an adequate and amazing exercise for pregnancy. Walk hills. Like if you want a little bit more of a difficult situation, walk hills, walk stairs, add in some lunges, something like that. That's fine. But walking is so good. And you can find a little routine for yourself too, where you're maybe like listening to a podcast or an audiobook, or you're talking to a friend or something where it becomes this very enjoyable part of your day that you look forward to that then is going to make it more likely to stick as a habit because you like it and you're not dreading it. And when you are 28 weeks beyond, when you're entering in your third trimester, I really, really think it's very important that we walk as many days as a week per possible as possible until the birth. So anyways, um, now birth classes. So, and getting prepped, we're getting prepped and ready for the birth and for breastfeeding and postpartum as well. So reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks, talking with friends, talking with practitioners, finding blogs and websites, whatever it is, the media that you want to consume. Um, if you're feeling really overwhelmed by that, that's why I created this six week pregnancy call because it can be really daunting and I totally get that. And so I try to put all of the information in one succinct spot so that there isn't always like Mr. Google happening, you know, where people are like, what's this mean? What's that? Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, with birth classes though, I do think everybody needs to take an additional birth class. I love hypnobirthing. Hypnobabies is similar, but a little bit different. Um, people really like the Bradley method. Then there's, um, birth without, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, types of classes. So you'll just kind of need to read through them and find one that you like best. Ideally, if you can take it in person and with your partner, it's a really fun way to bond and get ready and prepare together. And then with breastfeeding, you don't necessarily need to take a whole breastfeeding class, but if that's an option, cool, do it. I think that's great. But if you can at least go to a lactation meeting that's maybe happening in your town and sit and yes, you'll be the pregnant person. You don't have a baby there, but like sit and listen to the complaints of the other women the lactation consultant who runs the class, what they're saying, watch people breastfeed, watch how many times they adjust their little newborn's heads and their latches, hearing about all these things. So it's not the very first time that you're hearing about it when you have your own baby in your arms and you're trying to do this now, you know, for nine hours every single day. And it's like the first time that you've ever even heard of a latch. Like what is a latch? You know what I mean? We need to learn this stuff beforehand. Um, So second trimester is a really good point to get start, you know, gathering your resources and, and learning together with your partner too. Then get, and of course, getting excited. Now, third trimester, some things you might feel. So your movement's going to start to get progressively more challenging, more aches and pains. Okay. Ideally, we're seeing a chiropractor. Ideally, this chiropractor is Webster certified. So Webster is a certain technique where it's really focused on keeping the pelvic bowl balanced and the ligaments and you know the muscles. So like your psoas is a muscle that uh, is very deep. It's up against your spine and then it runs forward in your hips and connects down into the inner thigh, inner side of your femur bone. And it's, uh, it can get really tight and it can be contributing to a lot of like hip and, and back pains in pregnancy. We need it to be balanced and healthy. Um, what else? Yeah. And just getting really excited and probably getting really over it. Heartburn. Oh man. Yeah. Heartburn is a big one. So some just general tips, smaller meals, of course, that one is, and then not, not laying down right after eating a meal body work. So maybe somebody who does something like visceral manipulation and they can actually pull down the stomach or work on the stomach a little bit, but even just chiropractic, keeping all of your, you know, nervous input proper can be helpful there. Um, something like putting one drop of peppermint essential oil into a glass of water and having one sip of that water. So it's a very, very small, the amount of the oil that you're actually containing or, uh, 
consuming. Digestive enzymes can help with your meal, like when you eat them with your meals. There's a lot of different things there. Homeopathy, of course. Now, hemorrhoids, that's a bummer. This can be something that a pelvic floor PT might be able to help you with. Or if you are straining a lot, then we need to be softening the stool with something like magnesium and using a squatty potty. Um, for the physical pains and aches and everything, the chiropractic, like I was mentioning, is a really good one to have on hand. This also just helps to encourage the baby to be head down and then also to be getting into the better proper position of left occiput anterior when it's time to give birth. But of course, you can birth a baby that's posterior. You can birth a baby that's right occiput anterior as well. It's just that we want to definitely head down, right? Like because breach in this country, there's not very many options besides cesarean. So we really want to have a baby that has the head down and keeping your pelvic bowl and everything symmetrical with the use of chiropractic help can be um, pivotal to that or even flipping a breech baby if you already have one. With the physical pain as well, remind yourself that you also have this relaxant hormone going on that is making everything loose. So then it's kind of destabilized. So we need to help ourselves in ways like using a lot of pillows at night when you sleep so that there isn't pressure being put on your shoulders or your hips or your knees. Um, re-strengthening certain areas. So sometimes it feels, we feel tight, like, oh my gosh, my lower back is so tight or my legs are so tight. Really what it could be is that your glutes are weak. Your butt is weak. So if you do a little bit of glute exercise, it can actually really alleviate that sensation. So you might need to work with somebody on that for your specific body, but just use that as a consideration as well. Okay. That is the symptom management of third trimester. Now focus points for the third trimester. Again, walking every day, I think is so important. It, it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be for an hour, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes would be great. Listen to birth podcasts, fill your subconscious with good, positive birth stories. And you're going to be learning from this as well, or do whatever is going to bring you joy there. But I do think it's a good time to listen to birth stories. So, I mean, maybe you can just double whammy them. Um, we want to be doing some kind of like body positioning homework, meaning if you sit at a desk all day or you're sitting a lot in general, getting up and moving for a minute or two every 30 to 60 minutes so that we're not sitting with our hips in a 90 degree angle for too long. Ideally, when you're sitting for, you know, when you need to, maybe you can be sitting on a big blown up yoga ball and it's blown up so much so that your hips are above your knees. So that's just like one little tip to think about there. You're also maybe beginning to nest and prep your space in your house. You're talking about, you know, parenting and what is going to happen with your partner and how you guys are going to manage things. And you're spending more time together because ideally, well, ideally you're spending more time together because things are going to be shifting once this baby is born. You're prepping your birth space and your mindset there. So whether you're listening to affirmations, you're gathering your supplies. If it's a home birth, you're, um, taking, you know, your date, you're eating your dates, you're drinking red raspberry leaf tea, whatever it is, like you're, you're really starting to get prepared for this transition. Um, you're learning about breastfeeding and postpartum. You're maybe making a postpartum plan. Like you're making meals that you're freezing or you're setting up a meal train. You're talking with your friends and family of how they can help support you and the, the new family unit. Once this baby is born, my very, very favorite one tip is a meal train for sure. Mealtrain.com or take them a meal are websites that make it really easy for other people to just sign up on a calendar of when they're going to bring you food. You get to dictate what time they're going to come and the types of food that they hopefully will bring you. Or like if you have food food restrictions, you can say, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever. Um, if people live not in your town and they can't physically bring you food, then they can 
buy DoorDash or Uber Eats, you know, different kinds of meal delivery services and contribute in that way. And it's also very helpful or grocery delivery funds, those kinds of things. Um, third trimester, you might be having like a baby shower or a blessing way. And if people are looking for something to give to gift to you and you want to maybe have less of the things and more of the services, there are ways to set that up on your registry now so that you are, people can contribute to like lactation services that, that cost or postpartum massage or postpartum cranial sacral therapy or, um, yeah, I, you know, just the idea of kind of backloading a lot of that support for once the baby has come and in, in lieu of getting like 75 onesies, <laughs> just because it's, you know, and first time parents, I get it because it's so exciting. And it's like, you want to buy all the things. And then when you realize like what's truly important, it's really just not all the clothes. Usually um, it's getting the, that kind of support. So, okay. That's kind of my breakdown of these trimesters. I hope this was helpful for you. And the show notes will be filled with different kinds of information, little little nuggets that I mentioned throughout the course. And again, if you're liking this, you want to you want to join our six week pregnancy call. It is going to run at the end of March. So I hope you all have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. In order for others to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And please remember that the ideas and views of this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for medical care of any kind, including the diagnosis or treatment of any illness or disease. Consult with your provider before integrating this information into your own care plan. And remember, a healthier future starts now and it starts with you.